We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? The calm before the storm, maybe, Nick. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten to this point, and the Nets have not traded Kyrie or KD, and all signs kind of point to them potentially coming back. We're going to jump into that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, where do we start? Nick, I reckon we start with, obviously, the, the KD and Kyrie stuff, and it seems to me that it's more unlikely that Kevin Rain and Kyrie, one or both of them do end up leaving. And we've got some reporting from a New Jersey reporter sort of saying that he says that Kevin Rain and Kyrie Irving themselves know a trade is quite unlikely to happen, according to a league source. Is that a good thing, Nick? I think it's probably a good thing, I guess, to them coming to a realization that, hey, we're not going to be able to leave Brooklyn this year and we have to make of it what we can, you know, at least for this season, who knows what that means for next year. And obviously this is a report. So it's from a source. We don't know if that source is Katie or Kyrie or their agents, but obviously I think what, or another report we'll talk about later from Jake Fisher kind of talking about Kyrie feeling that he's going to be back in Brooklyn, given the circumstances and the market for him. So the way that everything's kind of progressed and the way that the market has worked. And the fact is that no one's really made an aggressive offer for Kevin Durant. And it's been 18 days since his trade request. I think it's pretty significant. No, it definitely is. And look, it's, I think that the, it, it's positive news because we've heard Kyrie Irving from Brian Lewis, that report, and that was sort of given some credence by a few different reporters here and there. Might be Kyrie Irving trying to, to you know, create a, a certain narrative around himself. Kevin Durant, we obviously barely hear anything around him. So the fact that he knows that, maybe he's just like, all right, cool. Well, he's wearing a black and white Slim Reaper shirt when he's out there. There's conflicting reports about, you know, who he's hanging out with and where he's working out. He's been in L.A., he's been in Portland, he's been everywhere else. But ultimately, a lot of those videos is him playing hoops. And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully he's doing it in the black and white. And the fact that he is, he's probably just like, all right, man, look, I, I want to go to Phoenix. That seems unlikely given what happened with John G. Aiton, and we'll have a discussion about that. But uh, I think that both of these guys, it seems, if we're going percentage-wise, it might be above the 50% mark that they're going to be Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I think at this point in time, at the minimum, it's probably 50%. And I think a lot of that is, again, like dictated by the market. You know, if the Nets have received uh, a very aggressive offer for Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, they probably would have pulled the trigger based off of what we know about the relationships between those two and Joe Sy and Sean Marks and the organization. 
But given the way that the market's kind of acted and the unwillingness from a lot of teams to throw, you know, that that great offer, that godfather offer at the Nets for KD, it's it strikes you to say, like, you know, the it's just not there. And also, obviously, the Nets are playing this from a position with limited leverage, if any, given that KD publicly requested a trade. Obviously, you know, it was reported, but he knew that report was going to come out. I'm sure Rich Kleiman or KD himself told, you know, Shams to report that out there. So that puts the Nets in a weird situation. And then also we've gotten reports that teams are a little nervous to trade for Kevin Durant because they're unsure in terms of what's going to make him happy, what's going to keep him satisfied. If we do make a trade for him, how do we know he's not going to request out in a year or a year or two? So I think there's a whole bunch of different factors contributing to that. And obviously, you know, Kyrie over the course of the last couple of years has been very unpredictable. So both guys, you know, I think some of the recent history for them has damaged the Nets potential in a, a big return. Yeah, and it's probably damaged their own brands and individual yeah. packages and desires to have you know, other teams interested in them in, in, in a greater extent, whether it's Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant for, for varying reasons. And injuries um, that, too for both guys. Yeah, and injuries, injuries, age, obviously both of them, you know, early 30s, mid 30s for Kevin Durant. So I guess the the DeAndre Ayton news, Nick, of him you know, re-signing in Phoenix, does that give you extension increase the likelihood that we see Kevin Durant continuing his career in Brooklyn? Yeah, I think it makes it more likely. Now, I don't know if that's a positive thing in terms of, you know, KD is going to be happy to come back here and, you know, be satisfied and wanting to, you know, be back in Brooklyn. But at the end of the day, it makes Phoenix less likely to send an attractive offer to the Nets. And now, obviously, that could hurt them in the leveraging perspective of now they don't have something to show, you know, Toronto or or Miami or whoever, whoever else is kind of competing for KD. It takes potentially, you know, one of the teams out of the, the running, given that their assets are so limited because obviously DeAndre and cannot be, you know, traded, I think, until January 15th. And again, the Nets don't really have a ton of interest in him. And that was always going to have to be a three or four team trade. But it just kind of one one less option on the table. And it's an option that Kevin Durant truly wants. So I think, again, that kind of makes it less likely for other teams because they're so unsure if he's going to be satisfied being traded to their organization rather than it being Phoenix. Because I think given Phoenix would probably be the only team that's truly confident that KD would want to stay there for multiple years. No, that's it. And and I, look, I don't know. Kevin Durant changes his mind on a, on a whim. Kyrie Irving changes his mind on a whim. So the, things could change very, very soon. DeAndre Ayton being available in January, we could see a trade done before the trade deadline. You know, yep. we could see other teams get involved. Who knows what's going on with Donovan Mitchell? You know, does the Knicks trade eventually happen? If that happens, then that makes you know three, four team deals less likely, which could be a positive for the Nets or. You can look at it from both ways. Some people don't necessarily want Kevin Durant to, to be back or Kyrie Irving to be back because neither of them, or well, Kyrie Irving to an extent, has shown a desire to be there. But Kevin Durant has, you know, he he made a trade request and he he wa- he wanted to get out. He wanted to go to Phoenix. He wanted to go to Miami. And neither team has a package that is requisite for a, a return of of a player of his caliber. But you know, this has to be somewhat of a positive factor if you're in the camp that you know you want Kevin Durant to to be a Brooklyn Net semi-long-term or at least semi-even short-term because eight and off the table just is one less piece in the package for for a trade that you know could be done for Kevin Durant. Yeah, and I think, you know, as Nets fans, I think at the end of the day, me personally, and I think you think the same way, is like 
we want to see Kevin Durant back in a Nets uniform. And even if he truly doesn't want to be there, you just have faith that he's going to just hoop and do his thing. And he might not play the best basketball of his career, but it's still going to be an enjoyment given how good a player he is and obviously the likelihood that the Nets will probably never have a player of his caliber again. And obviously the duo of Kyrie and Katie just brings a level of excitement and there's always a chance. And I think as fans, you always kind of talk yourself into the idea, well, if we get them in training camp, we get them the regular season, things start off well, the team starts to gel, they win some games, they build some confidence. You know, maybe they'll play out the rest of the year and have a chance to do something in the postseason or maybe winning will cure some of these issues they have with the organization. Or maybe it'll just be, you know, Joe Sy and Sean Marks coming to the realization and seeing these guys back in the court and how good they really can be. And they might, you know, change their tune and flip the script and realize, you know, we need to do everything we can to make these two happy and keep them in Brooklyn because they really give us our best shot at winning a championship in the short term and probably in the long term, like we've kind of talked about, even if you do get it back a great package, like it's still years and years away for you being able to get back to a point of having two players of this caliber. And as we know, being NBA fans, you need players of this caliber to have a chance to compete for a championship. And that's just to have a chance. And that's no lock to win. But having a top five guy and a top 15 guy gives you a good chance if you can give them the supporting cast and both guys are locked in and focused. And obviously that's a big question mark too if they return. Yeah, and look, the, how locked in they will be, you know, for what period of time, you know, we had Goran Dragic making, we didn't really discuss those, Goran Dragic making his comments about the, not, I don't remember his exact words, but I'm, the key things that I took away was like, you know, it was an individual sort of environment. People cared more about, you know, getting up their stats than, you know, getting the, the W's. And, you know, that's probably a, a point of reference to, you know, Katie wanting to get 50 or Kyrie wanting to get 60 here or there rather than sort of, you know, building those championship habits, which Kevin Rand has alluded to. So, look. And I think even I a little shot at Steve Nash and the style of basketball, you know, that could be you know, depending on how you view Nash or what you think of how much control the stars have, it's more so just like, all right, you know, if they're running a lot of ISOs, obviously everyone's not going to be involved as much. No, exactly. So I just, I, I just hope that the all parties can eventually come together and at least create some semblance of, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, the last dance or whatever. I, I want it to be, you know, an extended dance and, and hopefully, you know, a bit of a dance party, but Ultimately, it's it's going to require you know, leverage, you know, a bit of give and take from both sides, because it seems to me that there's certainly stubbornness, you know, uh, from whether it's Joe Syce, Sean Marks, Kim and Arant, Kyrie Irving, and, and parties and camps, you know, uh, surrounding them. So, ultimately, whether they get on the same page or the same chapter or the same book, it's going to determine, you know, their future within Brooklyn and and the Nets' future overall as a franchise. Yeah, and I don't think it has to be a perfect work environment. It just has to be, you know, decent. You know, it just has to be enough where they're, you know, on the floor and playing at a level and people can communicate. And I think, you know, looking back at, you know, what we've heard about last season and all of those things, it seems like communication has been a real issue for all parties at all different levels. And if you don't have that level of communication, there's also not the desire to make the other party happy, then obviously things aren't going to work out. And at the end of the day, we've talked about this a lot. You know, it's a player's league, and it's probably more so on Josiah and Sean Marks to show something to Katie and Kyrie and try to communicate with those guys to build that relationship back up to at least get it in a way where it can benefit both parties. You know, if, if things at least seem good from the outside, the trade value goes up for both sides. You know, the Nets will get a better package they like, and Katie and Kyrie could potentially go elsewhere where they want to go. 
Definitely. And look, we got some stuff from Woj in terms of you know, the offers not being great and the Nets not wanting to take an offer. And we even heard him say directly about Josiah that Brooklyn has an owner in Josiah who, my sense, is not interested in taking a diminished trade package to just move Kevin Durant on. This is also a man who said he would rather not have either of Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving on the team than have to deal with last season. But stubbornness both ways, Nick. Maybe, maybe Nick, it's, it might be a good thing. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're going to be stubborn about, you know, Kyrie Irving and his contract extension and all these other factors and trying to, quote unquote, get the culture back or, you know, get a team that, like you said, Jack, that you're, quote unquote, proud of. Good. Be stubborn with the trade package. Do not accept anything less. And obviously, we've also heard the reports that the Nets have almost created an unlikely trade package that couldn't be, you know, completed because ideally they've always wanted Kevin Durant to come back. And, and even some of the wording in, you know, with Woj on ESPN and saying the Nets are still trying to find a package, but they haven't received the offer. So they're trying to show, hey, Katie, we're trying to work with you and trying to get this trade, but we have really high expectations that probably no team can meet. So it's almost setting themselves up to bring Katie back, even if it's in a way that he doesn't want. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, and and look, you'd have to be like, in terms of Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant didn't like the fact that, you know, it was a sign and trade for him and D'Angelo Russell. You know, there was a yeah. sort of like an ego sort of thing. So this sort of is somewhat of an ego boost being like, look, we can't get an all-star and five million picks for you, bro, because that's what you're worth. And if we're yeah. not getting that, then what is the point in us moving him? So in a weird way, maybe it's sort of flattering to, to KD, but we also heard Woj sort of say that, you know, the reiterated the Scotty Barnes stuff, the Nets want him and the Raptors don't want him. And, you know, it, it's, it, that is the pack. That is probably the only package that to me, it seems like the Nets would take in return, whether it's Scotty Barnes, Jalen Brown, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Brown, or Brandon Ingram, a, a package with them and picks and, and filler. You know, that seems to me a, a pretty reasonable return for one of the best players ever. But I don't think that those are on the table from any of the teams involved. 
Yeah, I think you could talk yourself into it as a Nets fan and, and, you know, the Nets could talk that into their fans like, hey, we have, you know, one of these young and upcoming stars or even a current all-star to pair with Ben Simmons. And, you know, we might not be competing for a championship, but the window's bigger now because of what we have. And obviously that's not what I personally think, but that's how the Nets would try to sell it or they're able to land one of these guys. And with the picks, maybe something, you know, lucky could happen and they could end up in a really good situation. But like you said, those offers aren't on the table and they don't seem like they're going to be on the table anytime soon. And maybe, you know, some of them, especially, you know, there's been rumblings at the Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart thing being on the table early on and Boston kind of pulled that away. So maybe the Nets had an opportunity to, you know, pull a big trigger on a trade and they didn't pull that trigger because at the end of the day, they were really unsure about the situation and they were always asking for more and almost more than what a team could realistically provide. Or if they did provide that, it'd be a very easy sell. It seems like the Nets to an extent, are leveraging themselves to say, like, we need this package because we're trading one of the greatest players of all time, so we need to be able to sell this back to our fans and sell it to ourselves. Like, if you're losing Kevin Durant, like we're talking about Kevin Durant, you truly need something amazing. And as we've, you know, Woe just mentioned, other reporters have mentioned, something historical in terms of a, a return. Yeah, he's Kevin Durant. You know who he is. Yep. Like, it's, 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 it's plain and, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's plain and simple. So, look, we got a question in our in our Brooklyn Buzz Twitter community, uh, Twitter group community, Nick, about and from DRock about what is the most reasonable Durant trade. We've sort of had our discussions in terms of reasonableness out of the sort of the three that I alluded to, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Toronto Scotty Barnes, whether it's New Orleans Brandon Ingram, whether it's Boston Jalen Brown, and then picks that go with that. Obviously, Raptors, uh, Celtics, uh, and Pelicans could provide provide compensation in in varying ways. What is the most reasonable Durant trade um, to address D-Rock's question? Yeah, I think the Pelicans aren't super interested. I think that they're looking to build with Zion and Brandon Ingram moving forward and the young core and kind of see what they have. And I think they're really unsure if Kevin Durant would be committed to them long term. I think Boston, you know, maybe they had more interest before the Malcolm Brogdon trade. And now they realize like, hey, we were just in the finals last year, you know, what, two games away from winning a championship and we just added a fringe all-star player? You know, maybe this is something we'd consider, but also at the same time, you know, we don't we don't necessarily need to blow up our core because we could potentially compete for a long time. I think Toronto becomes the most realistic destination. Obviously, the recent success they had with Kawhi Leonard and that short-term trade and, you know, having that shot at a championship. But also the fact is, you know, they could probably do a trade of Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent, Thad Young, and some picks and maybe another player to fill up the salaries and still really have a chance to compete for a championship and have a really good team. You know, if your core is Fred Van Vliet, OG, KD, and Siakam, you feel really good about that in terms of competing and having a lot of good players on that team. And obviously, you know, a couple other guys coming off the bench with Otto Porter, uh, Chris Boucher. So I think they'd still have some pieces to still compete while giving the Nets a, a realistically solid to good trade package yeah and and look i think it, uh, you can make an argument for the the pelicans one and and i probably would as well you know brandon ingram has been made the the kevin Durant comparisons have been made to him you know plenty a lot and they've also got a, a glut of picks given that anthony davis trade as well so 
if the Nets were to you know, get some some picks in return or the amount of them or the the nature of them that might be better coming from New Orleans than they would be coming from Toronto, um, given you know what they do have in, in their kitty with David Griffin and that franchise. So I'd say New Orleans or Toronto are the ones that make the most sense. But and I know, think the, from like I said, I think New Orleans just really doesn't have interest themselves. No, and and I don't think that they do. You know, I think all because. I think Toronto, from their point of view, they're like, well, no one's offered anything. Why are we going to offer Scotty Barnes? Yeah. We could still offer you the. You can make an argument that a a package around Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi is as good as Brandon Ingram and you know, whoever else is is and Jonas Valanciunas, and it's just like, well, yeah, maybe. So that's why Toronto probably has shown a, a, a semblance of reluctance because. They're bidding against themselves in a way. You know, the Golden yeah. State want Andrew Wiggins and and everyone else. It's just like no, like as much as he's an all star, he's like one of those you know, D'Angelo Russell style all stars, Ben Simmons style previous all stars when they've sort of had to fill in, you know, here and there. So ultimately, Nick, you know, the there aren't really reasonable ones because Kevin Durant is an unreasonable asset. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Jack, you could argue Toronto has the best offer and the second best offer, and that's arguably the worst situation for the Nets because there's no reason for Toronto to have to get to their number one package unless they're really get to a point where they're desperate and hungry to get Kevin Durant on their team. And I'm just not sure they're at this point because again, they're not one of the teams on his list. You know, I, like I said, I think Phoenix is really, and maybe Miami are the only teams that are truly confident that he would stay there for multiple seasons. And look, there's been out of those ones, I would probably say Toronto is more likely if Kevin Durant were to, be out the door at, out of I don't necessarily think Boston or New Orleans would be high on his list in terms of desiring to be desiring to be there long term. You know, I've heard weird things about Washington sort of being thrown in there. It's just like no, like their and, package and look, Kevin, sucks. Their package sucks, and Kevin Durant is from there, and you know, yep. we've heard you know, links to him there back in the the Golden State days before he signed with them. But it's 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 not a race between Toronto and New Orleans and, and Boston, but if it were a race, Toronto has the upper hand over any team. But again, their package isn't being accepted and, and for good reason. Yeah, it's more like Toronto is competing with Phoenix and Phoenix has maybe the 10th or 12th best package while Toronto has, you know, first or second. Yeah, and like I said, they're... Their package with Barnes is number one, and their package with Pascal Siakam, yeah. you can make an argument, is two or three or four or whatever. So yeah. it's just like they have everything that they could give in in some semblance of a return, given that there aren't other suitors out there. So I guess it plays into to the Nets' hands in terms of the fans that want Kevin Durant to be around long term, and I know you and I are, are in that camp as well. So, but in terms of Kyrie Irving stuff, Nick, and we've heard stuff today from Chris Haynes about you know there's real. Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and LeBron James are now on the same page. Kyrie Irving was training with Phil Handy and, and at a girls' uh, basketball camp, which was was cool from him as well. Kyrie Irving still posting some stuff and hanging out with Nets fans that he sees around the way. Where do you stand with the Kyrie Irving stuff? You know, after our last recording. Yeah, I think Kyrie's likelihood of coming back is, you know, increasing drastically. I think also we had a report from Woj today saying that. You know, the Lakers could look elsewhere if they get impatient or they really believe that, you know, this trade is not going to happen. They could look to add another player. I think there was a mention of potentially adding somebody like an Eric Gordon or, you know, Buddy Heald from, you know, uh, Indiana. So they could look to do some different things if they think that the Nets 
are going to take too long or at the end of the day really aren't committed to trading KD. And I think that's kind of the vibe that a lot of teams are getting. And I understand from the Lakers perspective of why they're not going to kind of sit. And also, I think they've come to the realization that the only way they're moving on from Russell Westbrook is sending a pick along with that. And the Nets are not willing to take on Westbrook. And they're also requesting a pick for Kyrie Irving. So in that situation, the Lakers would be giving up 27 and 29, you know, 2027 and 2029 first round picks in one trade to acquire Kyrie Irving. And I'm not sure that's something they're comfortable doing, especially with LeBron's, you know, status unsure for the future. You know, a lot of people have compared it to his last year in Cleveland, just that unknown for the Lakers makes him uneasy in terms of trading those future picks. If LeBron tries to dash at the end of next year. Yeah. So it's, I think that the Kyrie Irving stuff, the reason why we haven't discussed it at the top is because it's ancillary to the fact that yep. if Kim Durant is there and he is still there, Kyrie Irving is likely to be as well. They are not a package deal in terms of where they go, but Kevin Durant is going to be traded first. Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving will be traded if Kevin Durant is traded. And and I think that we all know that and, and every Nets fan who's been paying attention to it. And, you know, we we heard some stuff from Jake Fisher who's appeared on the pod before that he's saying that Kyrie Irving's accepting that he's overwhelmingly likely to be back in Brooklyn. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for Kyrie Irving. He's, you know, expressed whether it's to different reporters here or there or sources here or there that, you know, he's cool with it. And, you know, he when he opted in and, and, and different things here and there, we'll be back in October you know, stuff after the the Boston Celtics series. I think Kyrie Irving, in terms of his desires with Brooklyn, seem to be at least a little bit higher than Kevin Durant because we don't really hear from Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant sources barely or if at all. Yeah, and I think, again, obviously Kyrie has a connection to the organization and the hometown roots of being from the area. And I think from the Nets' perspective, they look at it in terms of, hey, if we have Kyrie here, even though Katie's unhappy, Kyrie might be enough to kind of at least get him to a playable level or want him to be back on the court because we know truly Kyrie and Katie want to play together. So I un- definitely understand that perspective from the Nets. And again, you know, Kyrie's secondary in terms of the the trade return, given his value, his contract situation and just how the market views him. So there's really no point in moving on from him if you're not moving on from Kevin Durant, at least at this time, unless you get an overwhelmingly really good offer. But again, that could still create some issue because now, in my opinion, if Kevin Durant were to be back in Brooklyn, his likelihood of stepping on the court increases, I don't want to say drastically, but substantially if Kyrie Irving is here. That's it. So look, ultimately, it's a lot of the same stuff and it's positive for for the most part, but things can change. And look, I I heard this from someone on ESPN. I don't think it's totally worth me totally mentioning, but someone saying that it would be a disaster for the Nets to bring KD and Kyrie back. Do you think it'd be a disaster, Nick? Uh, I think that was Alan Hen of um, uh, the Knicks. So he does work on MSG. So obviously, you know, that could um, play a role into some of that. But, um, you know, I think there obviously is potential for disaster. I think you have to be realistic with yourself that it could be extremely toxic and it could be really bad. Um, That's definitely a potential outcome. Obviously, we're typically pretty optimistic here. So (laughs) that's not an outcome we're hoping for. We're hoping for things to get figured out. But at the end of the day, someone's going to have to put their ego to the side and they're going to have to come to a room and they're going to have to meet and try to figure things out if guys are coming back and come up with a plan. You know, that plan is either, hey, we're going to run it back this season and really try to compete for a championship, or we're just going to run it back this year to help both of you guys work up your trade value and hopefully get a package that satisfies the Nets' needs. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because do you consider last season that that just occurred to be a disaster? If you do, then it, there's a likelihood that that could happen again. I don't consider it totally a disaster. I think that there are contingencies and things that happen along the way that created disastrous elements. But I sort of see that perception to an extent. But I could also see it, you know, being a, a 180, and you know, the fact that the Nets have got TJ Warren and uh, Royce O'Neal and Edmund Sumner to a lesser extent increases their their status as a team overall. You know, I think that they are a better team than they were last. They've got another wing and they've got another defender those to sort of replace Bruce Brown in, in that extent and you know, probably a better three-point shooter and in the that. mystery of Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons and Joe Harris. So, look, I think it can it, it certainly could be disastrous, Nick, but I think it'd be it, if the Nets are just out there hooping and they're all on somewhat of the same page and wanting to just win games and actually go, the talent is there for it to be anything but yeah i think the real question is how would they deal with a hardship you know someone going down or you know how would this team kind of react to a situation like that you know if the team is on winning streaks and winning games and dominating the eastern conference i think it's easier to see it be successful and like you said there's reasons to believe they could be more talented and be a better team than last year i think it's just more of a concern in the the character department and the you know trade demand department obviously it doesn't help last year that your you know third or second best player and James Harden requested a trade midseason. You know that's that really hampered you. And the probability of that happening or the demand getting tougher as it goes throughout the year is definitely a possibility with either guy. So again, it it really could go both ways. It could go both ways, and we're all hoping that it goes the way that leads to success for for the Nets in in 2022 2023. Any final, Katie and Kyrie thoughts, Nick? Before we touch a, a little bit on the Nets summer league. Yeah, nothing really. I think at the end of the day, we haven't truly got updates, which, again, like you've kind of hinted out throughout the show, it's positive for the people that want to see Katie and Kyrie back in Brooklyn rather than the people that want to see them gone. So see how it kind of all plays out. Obviously, we've heard on numerous podcasts after Summer League, typically a lot of teams and front office people go on vacation. We could see it be pretty dead for the next couple of weeks in terms of the trade market and maybe it heat up later in August or September. But at this point in time, like we talked about it, it seems like it's at least 50-50 we see them back in Brooklyn, for better or worse. That's, for better or worse, Nick, it sounds like some some marriage vows. So. <laughs> but in, in in saying that, we're, we've got some young kids to, to speak about that had some, some decent summer leagues, some not as good as we, we would have hoped. Who do you want to jump into? I think that we should focus on the four guys that could be rotation players or are rotation players next year. In David Duke Jr., Cam Thomas, Daron Sharp, Kessler Edwards. We saw Cam Thomas make the all-summer league team. We, we saw Daron Sharp being one of the leaders in wins above replacement player. Uh, David Duke Jr. absolutely balled out. Kessler Edwards had some varying moments. Who do you want to dive into? Yeah, I think let's talk about David Duke Jr. I think he did the most for his stock in summer league in terms of, hey, like, he was better than expected and really did something to help himself have a potential shot at a standard contract in the NBA. Obviously, very aggressive, constantly trying to get downhill, very active in transition. You know, every fast break felt like it included David Duke Jr. Defensively, very locked in. We saw him create a little bit more. Obviously, turnovers weren't necessarily great for him. I think the one negative mark for David Duke Jr. would be you would have loved to see more improved three-point shooting, but it was good to see him improve in the aspects that he won't get chances to do in the NBA. You know, he was able to handle the ball so much, drive so much, create so much, and that allows him to hopefully do that at a solid level in the NBA because of all the reps. And I think it's great to see 
the work that he put in prior to summer league, but also see the improvement and the confidence. I think one thing that uh, uh, stuck out to me about David Duke Jr. was he was just very confident in attacking the rim, very, very confident getting downhill and going chest to chest with a big to finish. And he finished against some low level NBA players. Now we want to see if that translates to, you know, higher level NBA players. But again, if I was David Duke Jr., locking myself in the gym for the next month and a half and trying to become at least a low level three point shooter. Somebody who's shooting, you know, 33 to 36% from three. No, that's, and look, I think DDJ has, he he's bet on himself and it might be a worthwhile bet. Nick, in terms of some chatter on Twitter is about the fact that look, the based off his play, he probably deserves an NBA contract, but given the, the status of the, the Nets roster with the, Paddy Mills still there, Seth Curry still there, Kyrie Irving still there, Cam Thomas still there. DDJ is only six foot four. He's sort of Bruce Brown size ish, and I don't think he has the, you know, the this, the runs and the experience that obviously Bruce does to really solidify himself. Would you give him a, 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 anything more than a two way contract? I think you'd have to consider it. I think he's a guy that's going to have to earn his contract at training camp. I think that wouldn't be surprised if he gets one of those non-guaranteed you know, or a very small partial guarantee to have a chance to compete. He could simply be competing with Edmund Sumner for a roster spot because Edmund Sumner only has a partially guaranteed contract. So I think you look at it from that perspective as well and see you know, how things can kind of play out with that. And again, I think his three-point shooting is a big factor in terms of if he'll be on the roster or if he'll get rotation minutes, but he has a chance. He has a better chance at landing that roster spot than he did prior to summer league. And I think that's all you can ask for if you're David Duke Jr. I don't think he locked it in per se, just because I think there are some question marks and the Nets would probably prefer to have him on that two-way deal. But like I said, it's closer to getting that standard than it was, you know, two weeks ago. And then look, that's a uh, full credit to him for for the way that he did play. He was superb in in many of the games, and you know he, he's shown that I think he is an NBA caliber player. And betting on yourself, you know, there's no better player to to bet on. And I love his attitude. I think that that's a, an underrated thing that David Duke Jr. has. And he had some moments last year in terms of just the the hustle, the tenacity, and uh, he still got those things. But he seems to, to to show a little bit more in summer league, which is what we wanted to see. Cam Thomas, Nick, what were your thoughts and impressions of Cam Thomas doing more Cam Thomas things in summer league? But did we see some things outside of that in terms of what Steve Nash wanted to see and maybe some other fans in terms of some of his playmaking and other little tendencies? Yeah, I think Cam kind of doubled down on being an elite scorer. I really loved his last game in summer league. I thought that was the best game he played, you know, really set up his teammates in the first half, then went into that scoring punch in the fourth quarter and kind of dominated and showcased what he can do. And it just felt like, he was in charge and in, in in full control. And I think you saw his growth throughout Summer League into the last game. And I thought he kind of found his rhythm and understanding how teams are playing him and how we discussed prior to Summer League, how he can make his teammates better and set them up to be successful. So I thought there was definitely some growth and maturity from Cam from Summer League uh, game one to game five. And I give him a lot of credit. And I think he showcased some of his passing ability. And I think he became, you know, potentially a more willing passer as the games progressed and as that he understood how the defense are playing him. Now, I, I think, think it, Oh, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, I think he's got that in his game, Nick. I, I, I think that it, people that see Cam Thomas as this player or whatever, he's, he's got that. He's got passing chops and passing instincts in him. He just needs to be, you know, in the flow of the sort more of game willing. because more willing and just have the, have the mentality of being like, you know, I want to impact this game, not just I want to impact it by scoring. And I think he's done that. I think he's shown that. 
Yeah, and even in the last game, it felt like there was more quick decisions in terms of like making a move rather than just kind of dribbling in circles or, you know, getting himself in a bad spot. So I give him credit for that. I think we would have loved to see more catch and shoot threes. I think that's clearly something he needs to work on, especially if the stars are still here. And I think defensively, he didn't really make a, a much improvement, and I think that's pretty disappointing. But you take it with a grain of salt, given it's summer league and not many guys lock in on the end of the floor unless you're David Duke Jr. or Kessler Edwards. Speaking of Dayron Sharp, Nick, what are you, what were your thoughts on, on his summer league? You know, you had some some big moments and a little bit inconsistent here or there, but where do you stand with with King Sharp? Yeah, I, I would say this. I don't want to say I'm disappointed, but I expected a little bit more. I thought there was a great opportunity for Dayron Sharp to go into summer league and dominate and really push to have, you know, maybe that backup center role or have rotation minutes last year. And like you said, just very inconsistent. And there was games where I felt like he got dominated. You know, that Memphis game where the Nets got cooked, Xavier Tillman, uh, a current NBA player, a guy that gets rotation minutes, outworked Dayron Sharp. And that's a game where you want to see him be better. You just want to see him, you know, dominate some of these games. And I think defensively, there's still a lot of room for improvement. I think finishing-wise was somewhat disappointing, you know, given how big he is compared to some of the guys he's going against and not understanding how he can utilize his size, use more of a pump fake. I think, again, Sharp is probably, in my opinion, I know a lot of Nets fans don't want to hear this, he's still probably a year or two away from being a consistent rotation player. There's just a lot of inconsistencies, and you know, rebounding at an elite level isn't enough to get you on the floor consistently when you're not finishing and not playing good defense. And and I think it's interesting because the Nets don't really have you know, that those 40 million centers anymore. There isn't yeah. Millsap, there isn't Griffin, there isn't LaMarcus Aldridge. It's Clax, and it's Daron Sharp. And look, the Nets may be banking on him being better than he is. And I think Sharp has shown showed a few a few moments throughout the year. You know, when he was playing against NBA level competition, I look more to that than I do, you know, the, the summer league sort of stuff. And I think he can be an NBA player, but I just think that, you know, I think establishing yourself as a credible NBA center is harder because of the amount of work you have to do on both ends of the floor in terms of just being a, a, a steady defensive presence. And I think that needs to come with game reps, as you alluded to, Nick. And I don't think you you get a lot of that out of summer league because you're not going up against, you know, Embiid, Gobert, Davis, the, these sort of guys, Jokic. Whereas, you know, you're going up against the lesser guys and he wasn't able to capitalize in, in certain moments. But it doesn't mean that we, we, we won't see, you know, moments from Darren Sharp in next season because as the state of the roster is, he's probably the backup center. Yeah, I think the Nets definitely need to make a move or, you know, potentially look to play small ball with some of those bench lineups because I just think defensively is what's where he's not there. I think his positioning at times is really poor. And there's a lot of possessions where he kind of sets the other team up for an easy dunk or layup. And some of that's the rotations behind him. Obviously, we don't fully know what the Nets are truly running, especially at Summer League. But he could improve throughout the year and get to that point during the season. But there just has to be a lot of, of work still done. And again, I think the finishing is important. You know, you're a great rebounder offensively, but sometimes you're not able to get the put back unless you're really going against some lesser competition. And that's what he needs to prove. He needs to prove that he can be good against good competition consistently. And yeah, that's uh, we can't really answer that question after a few summer league games. We'll might be able to do that around the the trade deadline. You know, if he's in the rotation, if he's a part of the team. But Kessler Edwards, Nick, uh, a, a few people are talking about regression talk for the number forty four pick from last year's draft. 
do you uh, are you buying into that? Do you think you're just like you know you might dismiss this and maybe Kessler Edwards is is better within an NBA setting than he is in these sort of settings? Was he given the opportunities to to display himself? Given you know David Duke Jr.'s chops, Cam Thomas's chops, even Daywon Sharp had a pretty big game where I think he had something like seventeen and ten. What are your impressions of Kessler Edwards? Yeah, very inconsistent for Kessler. Similar to Cam, I thought his best game was the fifth game of uh, Summer League, and he started to get a little bit more confident, get a little bit more relaxed out there. I think there's still some of the same concerns, you know, not looking comfortable with the ball in his hands, three-point shot being inconsistent, you know, sometimes looking like a, a deer in the headlights. And I think for Kess, really, what I would recommend for Kessler Edwards would just to be playing a hundred pickup games over the course of the next month and a half. He just needs to have the ball in his hands. Maybe that's as simple as like spending some time in the G league early in the season and featuring him. Just, he needs to be put in these situations where he's not comfortable so he can become comfortable. And it's not like he's going to be that guy in the NBA, but sometimes the only way to be comfortable having the ball in your hands is when you consistently do it. So if you're in the G League, send him down there, let him play some time and just really feature him. Or maybe that's through pickup or training camp, whatever it is, he needs to work on his ball skills and look more relaxed out there. I think also, you know, and the reason I say play 100 pickup games, I think his instincts are lacking at times, you know, in terms of just knowing how to play basketball or where to be or looking comfortable. I think he could also probably work on his uh, flexibility. You know, he has some explosive to his game, but at times he looks very stiff. Yeah, I think he just needs to just, like you said, you know, just have more instincts, be uncomfortable with making, be, be comfortable with making mistakes. And, you know, whether that's in the G League or in pickup games and those sort of things. So hopefully, hopefully he can do that. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, David Duke Jr. was a guy that probably surpassed my expectations Cam was pretty much solid. I wouldn't say I was, you know, mind blown by how he played, but there was some improvements from the playmaking perspective defensively and catch and shoot threes. We want to see improvement. Dayron Sharp, I thought could have probably done more, especially to earn himself that backup center role. And like I said, with Kessler, very inconsistent, but like you alluded to, maybe he's just better as a fifth option in an NBA offense because he can kind of sit in the corner and just play good defense. Final thoughts, think before we wrap this one up. Ah, that's about it, Jack. Um, obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens news-wise, but seems like it's going to be pretty dead for the next couple of weeks. We'll get a mailbag going. We'll get some content going. Don't worry about that. 100%. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks for everybody listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.